0: I was asked to come and share with you guys, and when praying about it, I felt like God spoke to me in a passage from Romans chapter 8, verse 27. So if you have a Bible, read it with me. All right, so Romans 8, um, I just want to read one verse to you, and this verse is verse 27, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. According to the will of God. Now, you might wonder what on earth are we going to talk about from there? How many? I mean, how many names can you think of for God? I mean, James Hemphill wrote that book, *The Names of God*. Uh, God's proper name in the Old Testament is Yahweh. Uh, he's referred to in other ways he's the almighty he's the holy one of israel he's the god of hosts he's called the god of abraham somewhere he's called the god of abraham and isaac then abraham god of abraham isaac and jacob Uh, there's other strange names as well Uh, jacob knows him as the fear of my father isaac Uh, in the new testament he also has names jesus refers to the father as the father who sent me Uh, Here in Romans, God has been referred to the one who raised Jesus from the dead, some of his names. Yet there's an interesting name given to God in this passage, and he's called the searcher of hearts. And that's what I want to talk to you about for a little bit, the searcher of hearts. You know the Bible tells you to guard your heart above every other thing that you have. You've got to watch this thing. Thank you. You know what you can do for me? Yeah, I'll buy it. You do it for me since as you're standing there. So, if you don't mind, Jordan, you do that. And then I'll move this out the way. We bang that on there. That's, yeah, now you're talking. You knew immediately that cold water is not going to work for me, eh? Thank you. The only thing better than water, if you're standing up here, is a mocha chino. Sundays when I'm tired, but I'm on my third or fourth preach for the day. Then I the chino, give me a mocha. And let me just put whatever's in there. I don't care. I'm not going to ask as long as I can go down. <laughs> so he's called the searcher of hearts. Because you can't hide your heart from him. And you're told to guard your heart. And the one thing God does is he always works, if you notice, in your heart first. Always works in your heart first. You know the Bible tells you to renew your mind. Change your thinking. He doesn't tell you to renew your heart. Because you can't. You can't change this thing. Only he can. You can wound it. You can give it away. But you can't fix it. God tells Jeremiah, tells Isaiah, tells Ezekiel, I must come and I must put a new heart inside you. You can't do it yourself. So God comes and he gives you a new heart. Then the Holy Spirit with whom you are sealed for the day of your redemption, he's put inside you. And he starts to do a few things inside you. That God the Father is in agreement with. So the Spirit begins to pray. It says there with groanings and intercessions. The Spirit prays to the Father. The Father listens. He knows the mind of the Spirit. And who's interceding at the right hand of the Father for you? I mean, you are talking about the Trinity just now. There is this work of God in you where He's trying to accomplish something. And so that's what I want to talk about. Romans 2 verse 16 says, this will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declared. God knows our secrets. Romans 2.29 says, Circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. So now we know there is a painful working sometimes in our hearts by the Holy Spirit because He's trying to do something. And God is referred to in this passage as the searcher of our hearts. Now the word search is a Greek word, I didn't, don't even know how to pronounce it, erinio, meaning to investigate or to examine into. Some places where that word search is used, Psalm 139 verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart and I test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Jesus says in John 5.39, you search, so the Holy, we know the Lord searches, the Holy Spirit searches, and I says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is them that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Now, the word searches in Greek comes from the root which suggests someone lighting a torch, going down into a really dark room full of all sorts of things, and he's looking for something in particular. So you can picture a man with a torch in a dark basement. There's all sorts of things around, and he's got one light, and he's looking. That's the language which indicates what's he looking for, and what's he going to do when he finds what he's looking for. When it says God searches our hearts, which we've read in there now twice, what he's doing is he gets in there with the light, the illumination that he has. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life, I'm the light of the world, all those things. He comes into your heart and he starts to look. What's he looking for or what's he listening for, do you think? He's listening for what the spirit has to say about what's going on in your heart. He's listening for the groaning. He's listening for the intercession of the Spirit. Because the Spirit knows you better than you know yourself. And He knows what's going on in there. And He wants to minister into your life. He wants to bring the will of God to you. And He wants to bring the will of God through you. And do you know sometimes you can be going through difficult times where you do not even know that that which is carrying you through is the Holy Spirit. And there are different ways He talks to you. I'm going to get onto that now, but can I tell you, one of the ways He talks to you is by a restless spirit. Another way He talks to you is through disappointment. Another way He talks to you sometimes is just by saying nothing. Sometimes that's best. I've had, i tell my kids, you never organize a stay over at my house for the day on a Sunday. Because I've just preached three times, I've got just the afternoon, and I'm preaching again. Inevitably, one of my kids will bring a friend, say, Dad, can come over today? And look how loudly I speak. I'm telling him, you're about to see Jesus personally, if you don't get out of my space, now. And I do it all without saying a thing. Any parent learns, hey, how to tell your kid what to say by saying nothing at all. And sometimes you are praying to God and you're asking, he just looks at you. And there's your answer. It's trying to get your attention. Are you okay? And sometimes when God is looking in your heart for things, you sometimes, if you're anything like me, you don't want him to find what you've hidden there that you're hoping no one will notice. Is that fair? Because where else do you hide a thing? Where else do you hide an attitude about someone? A disappointment, a hurt you can't get over. A little bit of resentment you're feeling, a bit of jealousy over this or over that. Where else do you hide it? You put it in your heart. There's nowhere else. Because you, if you're like me, your brain's like a sieve. You forget tomorrow what you agreed to today, but you never forget how you're feeling. That thing sits right there. So, when you look at the world, the Bible says there in the book of Romans, from chapter 2 onwards, the world is groaning. For Jesus to come back. The creation is groaning. The spirit in us is groaning. Why? Because this world's not in a good place. And so God looks at a world that's broken. And he says, what I want to do is I want to identify with this world. So the first way he did it was how? He sent his son, the word who became flesh, lived among us, identified with us, dwelled among us, took our sin upon himself, died the sinless Sacrifice for our sin, buried, raised from the dead, ascended to heaven at the right hand of the Father. He identified with the world. Then he says, I'm now going to continue to identify with the world. And I'm going to do it through a living body, the church. A living body through whom I'm going to get again identify. I'm going to go into a world that is broken. And I'm going to begin to minister to that world. And so we know, we as the church have been sent into the world, we're a city on a hill, light of the world, we're a fragrance, we're ambassadors, all that language. We've been sent into the world with a mission, a responsibility from God to a world, quite honestly, that's going to hell. Is that fair? Yet, most churches are running around playing games. Meeting together on a Sunday, doing this and that. Nothing ever changes. Nothing ever happens. Nothing ever goes on within them. They're making all these promises, all these things, all the, but nothing ever materializes. But you're sitting with a people in whom is the Holy Spirit of God. When He dwells within you, what do you think are the kind of things He wants to talk to you about? Now remember, the Spirit is making intercession and groanings. To the Father who knows the mind of the Spirit, they are engaging each other inside of you towards an objective. And I want to tell you, that objective is not the thing you're hoping for. It is the thing He wants to do in and through you for the sake of the advance of His kingdom. This is important what I'm saying. If I could, I would love, I'm not going to. But I would love to digress for a moment and talk to you about the reality of prayer. I am so over most of the way people pray. Because we act like prayer is something we're doing. When prayer is a response to the first action of God. When the Spirit is groaning. And when the Spirit is interceding for the Father on your behalf and He speaks to you, your prayer is always a response to the first action of God. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, don't use many words. Then you go minister in some churches and have a four and a half hour prayer meeting. Jesus said you will not be heard because of your many words. But we think, no, we must. So I'm glad you clapped for me when I came up. Because I know the next clap is when I get in my car and I push off. (laughs) I get it. Is that all right? Jesus also says, your father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. So then when you're going to pray, let me tell you how to pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth. So in other words, he's not so concerned about the fact that your relationship with your chick isn't working out. Are you okay? Okay. That's your biggest issue. The only thing, keeping Jesus in heaven right now, is the fact that there are unsaved people who would burn eternally if he were to return right now. Now you may be someone who's saved and your tax returns due, So it's like, Lord Jesus, come now. You hear what I'm saying? Final exams. I'm I'm right, I'm in my trick. Final exams, trumpet sound, I want to hear it. But it's essentially a very selfish act. Because that thing which keeps the father in heaven is that reason that his son died the horrible death he did that violent love act toward the world because people need him. So now he takes this church and he says, right, I'm going to take this church and I'm going to thrust the church into the world and it's going to be an incredibly impactful time as we saw in the early church, people responding, getting saved, a whole lot of things happening. But today we're seeing it in pockets. We're not seeing it enough. Why? Why aren't we seeing the pushing through? We ought to. That's what I want to talk to you about right now. When the Father lights His torch or lights the lamp and He walks into the dark, deep recesses of your heart and He's listening for the Holy Spirit's groanings and intercessions based on what's going on in your heart, what is He listening for? Six things I want to share with you. Number one. He is searching for your heart after him. That's it. He's longing for your heart to be after him. When he looks inside, does he find a passion for him or a passion for church life? When I got married, oh, before I got married, Vanessa and I, we're we, we getting to know each other. Uh, as I said, it's a bit of an arranged marriage. And uh, so we started to meet and have coffees with the elders. This is ridiculous. I mean, I'm flipping nearly 50, and I've got to have my elders chaperoning me. If I could rewind the clock, I'd do it very differently. But, I, I mean, we, you so want to be squeaky clean that you take it to ridiculous levels. So we're sitting down having a coffee, an eldership couple sitting over there looking at us thinking this is hilarious. And I just want to fire them and tell them to push off. But be it as it may, she says to me, she says, Greg, can you define in a sentence your relationship with God? I said, of course, it's easy. I said, he's he's the air I breathe. Simple as that. You see, when he becomes everything to you, no price is too much to pay. No inconvenience is too much. Now, please hear what I've just said. I had been leading a church for 23, 22 years, we've seen miracles, we've seen salvations, we've seen healings, my dad got healed twice of two different cancers, a throat cancer, they said he's going to die, uh, a, 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 a colon cancer, we've seen him healed, healed miraculously, I've done so much, then my wife gets cancer, and every other prophet's prophesying that she's going to be fine, no one ever came back to apologize afterwards, let's be honest, And suddenly you who's preaching that God is everything. When your wife is taken from you after 25 years of marriage, what do you do? She died in my arms. What do you do? When people are watching now, how much of what he says is true? In the days and weeks following, in that I can't describe to you what it's like to be in that place. But when it happens, who do you hold on to? How do you hold on? Who's enough for you? What is your attitude? I went into some very dark places because I, I really had to have some real discussions with the Lord on this. Because if I bottled it in that heart, I'm in trouble. Because all I've got to do is go to my eldership team and they would fully understand. And i just give the keys to my office and say, well, I might have started the church. There may be a lot of people in that church, but I say, yeah, I'm gone. i see you next year. And you know what? They would have handled it. They would have paid. They would have done whatever. I would, they would, I would have ridden that sympathy card. For at least a year. But the issue at hand is this. And I three weeks after she died, I stood in the pulpit. And I preached from Psalm 60, take me back to the rock. And this was my point. I met Jesus Christ at the age of 18. He called me. He put a call on my life. At the age of 23, I met my wife. At the age of 47, she died. But the call of God that came at the age of 18 carries me through. Because the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. It's easy to sing the song until it happens to you. And why I'm hitting this point is the first thing he looks for in you is simply, do you have a heart after him? Because if you have a heart after him, nothing ever can take you away from the passion of doing what he's called you to do. Now, I gave you a very extreme example because that was just my my story. Yours might be disappointment, betrayal, rejection, all sorts of issues that may arise in serving the Lord. That which will derail you is when he is no longer primary and other things are. The calling, the church, the this, the that, my kids, my wife, my job, my na, 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 He's looking to see, am I first? What's the greatest commandment in the Bible? Do that thing above everything because when you're in love you look at when you're in love your decisions are based by that your activity your actions follow this is the longest point right but it's no good having a church where you're doing all the stuff but they do not even know how to obey the greatest commandment to love him with everything if the spirit in you longs jealously then where are you Lord, this is about me, I don't know about this, I don't know about that. If you're in the way, nothing's going to happen. Number one, he's looking for a heart after him. Number two, if your heart is not after him, he goes and listens for what the Spirit is interceding. He's looking for sin, he's looking for blockages, and he's looking at bondages that are hindering our hearts after him so that he can set us free. And when he finds those things, he never comes to condemn. It is always his goodness that leads to repentance. And he will kindly speak to you. Those areas that are stopping him from being first. And he will call those things out. And he will always give you a way out. He will speak to you from his word. And he will say to you, John 8.31, he'll want you to hold His teaching. To be His disciple, to know the truth that will set you free. But if your heart is not sold after Him, the second thing He will always look for is sin, blockages, or bondages that are keeping you from loving Him first. And the Spirit will bring them up that God can deal with. Number three. He's looking for your response to His call, to other people and to the nations. If the Father sent the Son, if the Son sends the Spirit, if the Spirit sends the church, there has to be a going, a other people focus to everything we're doing. So much of church life and time has been spent on getting Christians happy, keeping them happy, training them, retraining them, retraining them, retraining them. After that, we train them. Then we train them. Then we change the word. We call it equipping. (laughs) Then we equip and we equip and we equip and we equip. And after a while, they're like, statistically, fewer than 10% of Christians have ever led someone to Jesus. And 10% of those, which is 1%, have ever discipled someone into a fuller relationship with Jesus, resulting in them leading others to Christ. But we have bookshelves. We have... uh... No, I don't want to offend anybody. There's enough resource out to help Christians become the fattest, most selfish people on planet Earth. Where all they revolve around is what makes me, that's why I don't want to say anything, but you go to the church who's going to help you feel better. What's your best life first? You're going to go and assess a church by what it can do for me, for my kids. Does this work for me? People leave church. How was the worship? Who gives a continental how the worship was for you? When was it about you? When was it for you? When was this tonight for you? I'm just asking because worship is Him-centered. And I mean I, do, I, I mean, I was listening to Apple music on the way out. wasn't Christian, I want to confess. <laughs> and my one Bob Dylan song ran d- 11 minutes. So after four minutes of Dylan, I thought I've had enough now. You know what I do? I just press next one. Billy Joel comes on. Beautiful. I love it. Let's listen. After that, some Die Straights. Mm, great song. Ch- next one. You can't do that in worship because that other music was for my entertainment. It's my Apple iTunes account. I chose that. But when it comes to worship, it's not about me. You walk out of church, you nudge your wife. What did you think of the service? The question is, were you convicted? Has your sucky attitude changed? Did you walk in here with flipping issues and you're walking out with the same issues? More now. Is the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart, but you're such a superior? Do you have any idea what's going to happen when you stand before Him? And he does that. Look, <laughs> yeah, you, you hear what I'm saying? And I want to tell you: if the Father looked at this earth, and what it did to him was bring his son, just think of it—to die the death of a cross. I got three boys. I don't—I don't know who. You, I don't care who you are. There's no ways one of my sons is suffering for your sake. You can go fly a kite. You hear what I'm saying? Even if I love you, I'm not letting my kid suffer for you. How about if you hate me? You want nothing to do with me. You reject me. You tell me to go fly kite. Now I must give my son up for you, I'll burn you. (laughs) Do you hear what I'm saying? I don't care. Who are you? And the fact that the father would do that because it says in John three sixteen he so loved the world. Then when he looks at his church, who has the spirit of God, you gave go, that whole thing just now about spiritual gifts and equipping and what he's, when he points you like a loaded weapon towards planet earth, he wants to know, do you have a heart for other people and for the nations? Or is this all about you? He's looking for the fact that if he loves the world, he wants you to in the right way. And do you know how many churches never, ever see people saved? Because it's not part of their DNA. I had a guy come to me. Our church isn't grand, Greg. Really? Yeah. There's no one coming. No. These people of mine, they don't bring anyone. So I said, and you? No, I'm too busy. Doing what? How many people in your church? X amount. So why aren't you doing it? You know, when we started our church, Bedview Primary School Hall, i got like 30 people. No one's visiting our church. I went to the Lord one day. I said, Lord, no one's visiting. He said, well, what are you doing about it? So I said, well, what do you want me to do about it? So I said to me, what's in your hands? I said, I don't know. Who asked me the sport question? So I said, the Lord said to me, what's in your hands? What can you do? I said, well, not much, but I play water polo and I play rugby. Winter sport, summer sport. The Lord said to me, go and join the communities and go play that. Do you know from those days until today, every single sports club I've ever joined, people, their families come into our church, got saved, and are still part of us. From rugby to water polo, to boxing, to a, a motorbike crew I now ride with, to CrossFit, to whatever I do, reaching them for Christ, bringing them in. Because the Lord said to me, you do it. The people aren't going to do it till you do. It's got to become part of the DNA of, of your life. Other people matter to God. Jesus goes to his disciples. He said, I send you into the world. He didn't say, except you because you're shy. You because you're nervous. You because you're just weird. You because, <laughs> do you understand? He sent the whole lot. He said, I want you to go into the world. All of you. I send all of you today. Statistically, nine out of ten, tell the Lord you can keep that. But I have a prayer list and I have a prayer request list. I want you to please do this for me, but the things you want me to do for you, no. And the Spirit looks at you. He listens. He assesses what's going on in your heart. He starts to groan. He starts to intercede to the Father. There's something happening here. And the Father comes to start to deal. That's number three. Number four, almost done. An attitude of obedience and worship before him. He's looking for that. You know, 1 John tells us, how do you love the Lord? I've had people, how do I know the Lord? How do I love the greatest commandment, love the Lord? How do I love him? How do I know him? How do I do this? You know stand standard? What did Jesus say? Obey my commands. 1 John says, we know we've come to love him if we obey his commands. Obedience is key. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, teach them to obey. Everything I have commanded you, Jesus said. Obedience is crucial. And he looks for obedience. Now, why why did I bring that one up? How many breakthroughs are waiting for your church? Okay, God has arranged things, breakthroughs waiting for your church through people in the church who just become obedient to something God's told them to do. No, but I don't feel it. I'm a little bit, stop talking about you and go talk about him. And the Bible says, don't worry about what to say. Jesus, when you stand before kings, don't worry, it'll be given you. Because the Spirit, will, He will minister. But I'm telling you, in the church today, we don't have obedience. We have people making demands, but we don't have obedience. And we have to teach him to obey. The, the, the blessings and the curses in the book of Deuteronomy are all based on one simple issue. Obedience. Or disobedience. It's not hard. And we have to learn obedience. And He will help you obey. And you've got to understand, Jesus often doesn't talk more than once. Goes to a group of, I want you to walk here by the Sea of Galilee. Follow me, I'll make you fish of men. He didn't go back and say, Now, seriously, this is a really good option. (laughs) Now, listen, now, really, can I I explain to you what I mean? (laughs) All right, give me three months. He says, Follow me. Left everything and they followed him straight away. If there's no obedience there, there's going to be no obedience here. Are you listening to me? The Spirit is looking for obedience. We come to our churches. Lord, you've put us in this area. we had to, to make change. we have here for... Well, then, do you love me? Are there any blockages? Is there obedience? Do you love people? Number five. Number? One, two, three, four, five. Because I've got dots. I didn't number them. Our attitude and our motives towards other people. By this the world will know you, my disciples, by your tolerance of one another. Is your attitude towards other people, is it good? Yes, he wants to know in our hearts we're not carrying stuff. Towards other people, it's important to him, eh? Yeah, I like church. I just don't like all those people that God put me with. (laughs) Can I tell you, people are a mission, eh? People, we always hope. If people join my church, I want a family of five: husband, wife, both big earners, perfect kids. They come into the church, they tithe, they keep quiet, and they leave again. That's what we want. It's not what we get. Church is a very messy nursery. And God wants us to be able to open our hearts to all sorts of people. You know how Jesus shows us this? In the Gospels, he chooses some disciples. Remember, he chose those whom he wanted. So who does he choose? He chooses the tax collector. Levi. Levi. Otherwise known as Matthew. Choose a tax collector. What's a tax collector? A tax collector is a collaborator with the Roman state to fleece you of money. And you know, they kept the majority of it for themselves. And if you didn't pay, they called the Roman authorities on you. So they were collaborators. They were hated. Then Jesus said, okay, with you, I'm choosing you, Simon, a zealot. What is a zealot? The party of the zealots. What were they? Do you know, do you know what their secret was? They were assassins. They had, the, a branch of them had these knives. They would walk past and and stick a collaborator. And so Jesus says, I want you to follow me and I want you to follow me. Do you think these two liked each other? <laughs> on the day Jesus is going to be betrayed, two oaks send their mom to say, Can we want to, Mom, we want to sit on the left and the right of Jesus in heaven forever. Now imagine there's like 10 other oaks. All 12 of us have been walking with him, but we want that spot next to him. Mom, go talk to him. (laughs) When Jesus said, you know, the first will be last, and you must serve the great, you know that whole thing? When he says that, it says, and the others were indignant because they got there first. Jesus is dealing with this. He's about to be betrayed. What does Peter say? If all of these idiots desert you, I won't. I'll follow you to death. Jesus says, I'll tell you what, today, today, you will disown me three times. Never. Later that day, calls curses on himself. I don't know the man. John, the one Jesus loved, took all his kids off, ran away naked, it says. Gone. <laughs> and do you know that for Jesus, these men were enough to still get the job done? Because they all loved him. The issue was, could they work with each other? And the point is, you've got to love people you don't even like. And if God calls you into a place, you don't say, well, there's no synergy here, I'm out of here. You stay where you are for as long as God wants you there, because He wants to do stuff, and you'll sort your heart out. And if you really have a problem with me, you're not going to like what I'm about to say now. Do you know the Bible says? (laughs) Do you know Jesus said? In my Father's house are many... What? He didn't say many golf estates. No, no. Where the neighbor is there. He said in my father's house are many rooms. Ever been in a place with noisy neighbors? Ever lived in a block of flats where you've got that and you just want to shoot the guy? Jesus is saying people of different languages, tongue, tribe, nations are going to share rooms with you. There. There. Sort your attitude out. Lord, I'm waiting for a prophetic word. You know, you know the old thing, they wear red or yellow so the prophet will notice them. And I'm just waiting for my word. What if the Lord ever really gives you that word? Sorry, what's your name? Yeah, the Lord says your attitude stinks. There's a so-and-so in your family or whatever. God says, forgive them and go and love them, go wash your feet. That's not a word. I want a word that encourages me and builds me up and tells me I'm the next great... We want to do all that, and we haven't even got our hearts right towards other people. John said, along with his, with his brother, he goes to Jesus. He goes to preach about Jesus, that the people don't repent. Jesus says, can we call thunder down, a fire, a lightning? Can we burn them? A village. And so Jesus laughs and calls them the sons the thunder. I call you the sons of thunder. Because all you want to do is, you're upset because your message wasn't received. Even though it's about me, you get so offended, you want me to burn an entire village. Because you're not happy. John, that's great. <laughs> and later on in, in the book of one John, John says the world will know by our love for one another. Yeah. Brothers love Did you see the change because the Spirit is interceding and groaning to the Father, saying, For this one, there has to be an adjustment. And second last. Our willingness to lay our lives down in service for Him. Just say, Lord, I'm yours. And from that moment, you're no longer yours. You belong to him. I got saved at the age of 18. I grew up in a loving home. My parents are, well, I lost my mom last year in COVID. Not from COVID, but in COVID. So I couldn't even see her. I knew she was really sick, but we weren't allowed to go through to her. She lives in another province. And only once she died that i go and do the funeral. it was terrible, but that's what we were in. And uh, I grew up in a very loving home. But my mom and dad were allergic to money. Have you ever known that that symptom? They do so well, but there's never any money. And I lived in 30-odd houses. I went to six schools in 12 years. We moved provinces all the time. We never had anything. And so I said to the Lord, you know, well, not the Lord. I said to my dad, sorry. I said, Dad, I need to make money. So how am I going to make money when I'm old? My dad says, Greg, you need to provide what everyone needs. So I said, what? Well, everyone's going to get sick, so be a doctor. Or everyone has to eat, so be a farmer. And everyone fights, be a lawyer. So I chose law. Started studying law. God convicts me of sin. I give my life to him. Within weeks, he hits me with Genesis chapter 12. I go read it. And Genesis 12 says, leave your father's house, your people. Go to a place I will show you. And over the next couple of days, I'm an 18-year-old. God begins to speak to me over the next week or two and says, I want you to leave university. Now, my folks, by the way, when I did leave that first year, it took my parents another three to five years just to pay off the first year with the library costs and the books and the fees and the everything. And I go to my parents, they're coughing for me to be there. And I say, listen, I'm leaving. Why? I don't know. What you are going to do? I don't know. What's your future? I don't know. Well, you're in here now. You got in. Stay. And I can't. Who said God? You've been a Greg, just wait. You've been a Christian now for two weeks. We've known the Lord for like 30 years. You've known Him for two weeks. Can you give us a bit of time? Uh uh. He's spoken. I'm 18. I knew He's spoken. Do you know it took another five years before He told me to plant a church? Another five years. He never gave me a directional word for five more years. So the next year, I did a year of your life at our church. The year after that, I went to the army. Then after that, I worked for three years, and only in that fifth year, sitting in a church service one day, our pastor, standing in the front, says, I want you to picture in one line. In a whole preacher just says, by the way, picture a mother church planting satellite churches. That was the way those days of church planting and sites and all that stuff. Picture, this is now 1994, I want you to picture a mother church planting satellite churches and I'm sitting in Road 28 or something and a fire goes on in my heart and I knew in that moment what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Went to the pastor after the meeting. I said, that's me. He says, I know. I went and started. I took four of my friends. I started in my lounge and said, right, we're going to do this thing. 26 years later, thousands and thousands of people have been saved and reached through the life of our church. But what it took was someone willing to say at the age of 18, you know what, I'm willing to lay my life down, and when I lay it down, I'm not going to pick it up again. I'm going to leave it there for Him. And the Spirit knows when you are living a life that is crucified with Christ or one where you're trying to raise that old thing to life again because you're looking after you. And the last one. The existence of idols. Idolatry is simply anything you give your time, effort, attention, and money to in place of Him. Where you accommodate Him. But the reason you can't serve Him is because you're so committed to something. It's not sin, it's not bondage, it's not. But it's something you're wanting. And it's something you're wanting to serve. Where he is no longer first, that thing is. And the spirit sees it for what it is. And it begins to intercede. So that was Romans chapter 8, verse 27. What does the next verse say? Yeah, let's, what does it say? The very next verse, what does it say? So do you see why verse 27 is important? Because the next verse verse says, God wants to work all things in your life for your good. That's where it goes. If you love Him. And if you're fulfilling His purposes. He says, I want to work all things out for your good. I gave you 38 minutes to try and explain what I could have done in 10, I suppose. But what I wanted to show you tonight is that God lays a call before you. He lays a call before your church. He puts things on you. He gifts you within. The problem is, if He's not sitting on the throne of your heart, something else is. And those things are the hindrances to walking into what God has for you. And because He is so kind, His spirit inside you begins to groan, begins to intercede, And because the Father knows the mind of the Spirit, He picks up immediately from heaven what the Spirit in you is concerned about. The Son hears and He intercedes to the Father on your behalf. And God comes to you and says, if you'll just make a couple of adjustments, I want to work everything for your good. I want your life to be blessed. I want to turn everything around for your good. I just want you to love me. And I want you to fulfill my purpose for you. And to make sure you get there, my spirit will groan, my spirit will intercede, and I will be known in your life as the searcher of your heart. Do you have the courage tonight to say, Father God, search my heart? Because sometimes I don't know what's there. I'm frustrated, I'm blocked, I'm not moving into it. Lord, what is it? Searcher of my heart, test me, know my heart, Psalm 139. Know my heart, show me what's going on. Reveal to me that I can adjust. And when I adjust, you start to work all things together for my good. Stand with me, please. You okay? So, I would like to presume that every person in this room is a Christian. I mean, it's a leader's. I mean, it's a training time. It's late at night on a Friday. I would like to think the fact that you're here means you're a follower of Jesus. <laughs> but can I just say, you might just be a churchgoer. Yeah, no, but I believe in Jesus. So does the devil. You know that? When the demons saw Jesus, they said, we know who you are. You're the son of the most high. You can know exactly who he is. You can believe in him even. Doesn't mean you're going to heaven. <laughs> my brother and his partner own these game reserves. And last week I went there for two days. He wasn't there, but I went to go see my dad. So he says to me, no, come stay in my house for a few days. You, you open my boots fridge and there's these little red boxes like this. And they are snake anti-venom. You're far away from a hospital, so if a if a particular cobra or a or a mamba or uh, you know something bites you, you, you've got to be able to get help quickly. So you go to the fridge for the important ones. Now imagine I go outside and I I get picked and I look and it's a it's a it's a mamba and I run to the fridge and I open the fridge and I oh praise God, there's anti venom. I believe in it. Then I go make a cup of coffee. Yeah, and I settle down with a piece of bull tongue to watch the Springbok all black game. I'm going to die. Because even though I believe in it, if I don't take it into my system, if I don't inject it inside, I'm still dying. And so you can believe in Jesus, but unless you've received him, unless his blood has forgiven you and set you free, you're still not going to heaven. Now, I need to say that because there may well be somebody here who thought, hang on, I'm going to church. I'm doing the thing. My question to you is the very first thing the Spirit's looking for is do you have a heart after Him? Not church. Do you have a heart after Him? Do you follow Him? Do you believe in Him? Is He dwelling in you by the Spirit? Because the Spirit can only be inside me interceding to the Father if He's been put there. And only Jesus can do that.